Well, good morning. We are going to finish today our Family Matters series. In this series, we've purposed to just cover um, a variety of issues related to our variety of families that we have here in our church. And this particular message is, I think, just lingered with me with a, just a bit of angst, partly because um, the nature of what we're going to look at and who we're going to think about today, the most vulnerable among us, and, and sometimes just because <clears throat> I think there's, there's just some history of here's an issue, here's a struggle, here's a problem, let's throw a sermon at it, we'll either feel good or we'll feel bad, and then we move on. And, uh, and that's just a bad habit to get into at any given point. And so just sit with me here for a while as we open up here in a minute, Exodus chapter 1. Because I think this particular message just really um, kind of parks us close to the heart of God in some ways. And <clears throat> when we see things the way God sees things, when our hearts break for the things that break his heart, um, then I think it's, it's just such a good thing for us <laughs> to go through that. So um, in this particular message, I'm, I'm going to give you several action steps that might be for you. Some of them have greater, um, greater need for engagement for those who might have some greater capacity in their lives for that right now, and some have just some smaller steps because perhaps your capacity is less because you're already engaged in some kingdom work, either within these walls or outside these walls, and find that, that your capacity is lessened in that way. So either way, see things how God sees things, respond the ways God uh, drives us to is always a good thing. Now, um, Along the way today, I'm going to give you just some good um, connections that you can make to ministries, nonprofits in our area particularly, who are doing a good work already in some of these areas. So there's not a need to create something as much as there is to engage with those who are already involved in doing some things. That'll make sense as we unfold this. So turn to Exodus chapter 1, either your Bible or your Bible app, maybe that Bible at the chair in front of you. Exodus chapter 1, as the, as the book of Exodus opens, um, the nation of Israel are slaves in Egypt. Okay? And, and when we read just the first four chapters of the book of Exodus, um, we, we read several places that remind us that God is tracking everything that's happening in the lives of his people. For example, we read that God heard their groaning. And God remembered. We read that God saw the people of Israel and God knew. God says in Exodus, I have surely seen the affliction of my people and have heard their cry. I know their sufferings and I have come to deliver them. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. So, Apart from anything else that we're going to break open in Exodus chapters 1 and 2 today, just a good reminder that in our own struggles, wherever they might be, regarding whatever they might be regarding, in our own um, groaning to become the people that God wants us to be, 
and our own stretching and our own dealing with difficulties, God sees and God hears and God knows. And that's where he was with his people. So today we're going to talk about how God calls us to see and to serve the most vulnerable among us, meaning the children who may be struggling for a variety of reasons that we'll talk about today. Children who need life and love. Children who need homes and families. And while we're not all called to do the same thing, we are all capable of doing something. And God can enable us to do that. Now, in our text today, we're going to see how God uses different women of different ages and stages of life to see and to serve the most vulnerable. Under Joseph, God brought the people of Israel to Egypt to save them from a severe famine. But time changes things. And a new leader arose, a new pharaoh, a new king of Egypt, arose in Egypt that didn't know Joseph. In fact, he was threatened by how God had blessed the Israelites and how they had increased so greatly in number. And we read in verse 13 that because of his intimidation and his fear of them, that he exploited them and that he treated them harshly. And some of your versions will say in verse 13 that he worked them ruthlessly. So we have a struggling people and we have a threatened leader that result in very harsh conditions and very extreme measures that we're going to read about And yet we're going to see in our text four different ways that people advocate for children, four different ways that we might advocate for children who are living the most vulnerable lives among us. As we go through each one, maybe just ask, God, what are you calling me to do? What's the step you have for me? So I'm starting with each of these Um, different points or these different pictures with the word see, okay, on purpose, because the key is to see the world around us through God's eyes. If we could see things how God sees things, it would stir our hearts to action. It would cause us to need to, to feel compelled to respond because we see people and life, how God sees them. Now, the opposite is true. When I don't see things the way God sees them, when I don't see people the way God sees them, I think I'm always less than what God wants me to be. So we open our eyes and we see things. And the first thing that we see in our text is a call to see and rescue. Now, after Pharaoh made life miserable for the Israelites, he he instituted, because he's so intimidated by a number, he instituted euthanasia, meaning the intentional ending of life. Look at the drastic measure he takes. Some of you are familiar with this. Exodus 1, beginning in verse 15. It says, The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God 
and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous and give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Okay? Now, different time and different culture, no OBGYNs available for all the birthing process. And so the women would use a midwife. The, the word literally means one who helps to bear. And the king of Egypt, because of his intimidation of the number of Israelites, essentially demands that they kill all the newborn boys. Now, I don't miss verse 17. Okay? When we are called to do things that we know are not what God wants us to do, in fact, in this case, when you're called to do something that is the exact opposite of what God wants you to do, notice in verse 17 it says, the Hebrew midwives, however, feared God. And because they feared God more than they feared the king, they refused to obey the king's command. They knew that God would be dishonored if they carried out the king's desires, if they ended the lives of these children. And these godly women were so committed to God himself that there was no way they could take human life. Okay? And, and hear me out on this. Okay? I mean, the taking of a life that God has created, the life of a child, is ultimately an attack on the God who created that child in his image. Okay? Now, this issue is not simply a social justice issue, though it is certainly that. Okay? And it's not primarily a political issue or a women's right issue. It's a God issue. And it ultimately comes down to fearing God and obeying Him. So when we see God for who He is, okay, we'll understand that the taking of a life that He has created is a direct assault on Him. That's why the midwives said no. That's why they lied about it to the king. And God honored them because of it. Now, the Miami Valley Women's Center in our area um, has been advocating for women who are pregnant and for unborn children for many years. Okay? Um, it's a place where women facing unplanned pregnancies can get the support and the services and the resources that they need at, at no cost to them. And we at, at Troy Christian Church, we've, we've had members of our church that have served on staff with the Miami Valley Women's Center, many who have volunteered over the years. We have resourced them over the years, and they in turn have helped to resource us at times as well when there are things that we needed. So their website is in your notes, womenscenter.org, and I just encourage you to explore that a bit and see if there might be an action step for you there. So these two uh, midwives in our text, Shipra and Pua, okay? uh, maybe the, the first pro-life heroines in the Bible, right? put their life into play in that special way because they saw 
and they served. And ultimately, they rescued the most vulnerable. And again, we're not all called to do the same thing. We're all capable of doing something. As we go on on our text, we also see this call to see and release. Number two, see and release. Now, Pharaoh is frustrated because his plans have been thwarted. Okay? And, and so he makes a, a broader proclamation there in chapter 1, verse 22. And he tells this nation of Israelites that every Hebrew boy, boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. Okay? A direct order to all people. And very specific. Every son is to be thrown into the Nile. Last night we were with our, our, our newest grandbaby. Kristen, who's 11 days old, right? Completely incapable of doing anything except for lighting us up with her smiles, right? Um, but she needs everything from someone, right? Can you imagine like this baby that I'm holding, taking this baby and throwing it into a river, knowing it would mean certain death? That's what Pharaoh is asking them, not asking, that's what he's commanding them to do. Well, into that scenario, look at chapter 2, is introduced this Levite couple. Okay, now Levites were Israelites who were set apart for worship and for service. And these two faithful to God, we read in verse 1, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she, had, she hid him for three months. Now the word fine means well-pleasing, meaning when she saw the beauty of God's creation, when she saw this little miracle that God had created, she did everything she could to protect her son. Now we know from other passages that her name was Jochebed and Moses was the child. And she faced this um, inconvenient pregnancy, if you would. Now, I know that's a loaded term, but in our case, we understand, like, it, it came at a time when her baby boy's life was threatened. That's what I mean by inconvenient in this case. Beautiful thing that God did, rough time for it to happen. And so, Jochebed is faced with a choice. I mean, she could actually be killed herself if it was discovered that she disobeyed the king and kept her child, but that's exactly what she did. And she did that in part, I think, because she was living out what she understood that the Bible teaches us about the beginning of life. Read all of Psalm 39 and get that picture. Verse 13 itself says, For you formed my inward parts. You, God, knit me together in my mother's womb. Look at verse 3. This is what she does next, though. After three months, when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him, coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now, situations are not the same. <laughs> Application isn't exactly the same. But let me translate into what I think um, we're talking about here with regard to um, like how that might play out in modern terms, if you would. Okay. Jochebed is a birth mother who recognizes that it's unhealthy for her 
to keep her child, to keep her baby. So she places him up for adoption. That's ultimately what's going to happen. That's not what we're seeing play out yet in the text, but we'll see it as it comes a little bit later. And I, I think this, like when we see things the way God sees things, there's particular value in this section of our text in us feeling the weight that sometimes a mother or a couple who puts a baby up for adoption, how they must feel. I know there are crazy circumstances that lead to adoption. I am an adoptive parent, and, and I get that. And I did get that not everything is, is as pure and clean and nice as what's happening here with Jochebed. And yet, when we see things through God's eyes, then we find ourselves with compassion for those who have the courage to make this choice, to bring that baby to term, to gift that baby to another family to raise in that way, and yet it's not done without grief, and without loss, and without brokenness, and without pain. Okay? And again, that's a good reason why we come alongside ministries like the Miami Valley Women's Center. Okay? They put tangible hands and feet to Jesus' call for us to care for these that are struggling. And to cover, not just care for the children, but also for these young or maybe older women and men who are hurting in these specific ways. And that's why they offer support and services and care to help people move forward in life's journey when these crises present themselves. So again, I'd love for you to check out their website to explore how God might use you to partner with them to maybe, maybe volunteer or resource or engage them somehow, Miami Valley Women's Center, womenscenter.org. Again, address is in your notes. So we all see needs. Uh, even when we're not seeing great, we all see needs, and we feel them, some more deeply than others. And some people are called to rescue, like the midwives. Okay? Some are called to release, like Jochebed, but perhaps the majority of us are called to see and respond. Okay? To see and respond. In verse 4, we're introduced to Moses' sister, Miriam. Now, we believe that she's probably in the neighborhood of 10 to 12 years old, perhaps a young teenager. So put that into your mind. She's been with Moses for three months in her home. No doubt she's been part of keeping him quiet so it won't be discovered that they let a Hebrew boy child live. And it says in verse 4 that as the mother put him in this basket into the river, that his sister, Miriam, we know her name is, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And so you picture in your mind Jochebed putting Moses in the river and it's starting to carry him with the current down and Miriam the sister walking alongside the river tracking what is happening to her little brother. And the irony of what happens next I think can only be described as God's providence. Right? You've been familiar with you, many of you, the story, but not everyone. So read with me verses 5 and 6. It says, Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, 
and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then watch how Miriam jumps into action. Again, put that verse now in the middle of the context. Using words, I think, that are both wise and respectful. Because she's, she's talking to Pharaoh's daughter. And she keeps the focus on her, not necessarily on the baby, when she says, it says in verse 7, Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I have a plan. <laughs> I think this will work. Miriam out of a heart for her parents, right? likely a heart for her brother, probably at that age already a heart for God, made herself available to God by inserting herself into this narrative and being close enough to what was going on that when a need came up, she was actually able to do something about it. In fact, if you just take a step back and read chapters 1 and 2, she might be the key in the whole narrative, right, to make that connection because she was engaged and she was available so she could respond. How many opportunities we miss because we're not engaged? How many opportunities we miss because we're not available? Opportunities we could have responded. But she saw something she could do, and so she did it. She stayed near so she could help meet the need. And just a reminder to us, because people are messy. Have you figured that out? <laughs> Can I tell you that you are messy? And, and you ought to know that I'm messy. But you've got to be near messy people if we're ever going to respond to help them and to engage them and to do God's work with them. If you're close, you can reach out. If you're not, you'll never see it in the first place. There's a local ministry in our town called Seeds of Hope that I want you to be aware of. Again, their address uh, website anyway is in your notes. Um, seedsofhopeoh.org is their website. And Christy and Katie, the two gals who started this particular ministry, they did so to come alongside and to support those who open their, their hearts and their home to foster care, to fostering children. In addition, they support what is a growing um, number of families among us that are called kinship families, where we have people within a family that are raising children that they didn't give birth to. So we have a lot of grandparents or aunts and uncles who are actually raising these children that are part of their families. But what Katie and Christy understand is that oftentimes the journey for this child begins with just the clothes on their back. Okay? And there are lots of needs that they have. And so they provide support and encouragement and tangible items like <clears throat> excuse me, clothing and diapers and cribs and car seats and other essential things, okay? If you look them up on Facebook, Seeds of Hope in Troy, Ohio, they keep a current list. A couple of days ago, new family took a child in. They needed a dresser, so they sent out to all of their Facebook followers, hey, we need a dresser, and they got a dresser. If you go to their warehouse where they hold all these things that's in the old Stouter building, because they have car seats and they have clothes arranged by gender and arranged by age and all those things that people like you and I have supplied them with so that they can help 
these families that are called to care for the most vulnerable, right? To meet their ongoing needs. And for some of us, maybe those first two C's don't make a lot of sense for where we're at or where, what God's called us to right now. But to see and respond is something that each of us are capable of doing. Perhaps um, Miriam stayed close, Moses' sister. Maybe she stayed or she was able to, to speak into this situation because she was living out what it says in Proverbs 31, verse 8, where it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. See and rescue. Maybe see and release. For, for most of us, see and respond. We're not all called to do the same thing. But every one of us is capable of doing something. And then finally in our text, there are those who are called to see and replant. Okay? It's a unique piece here. Pharaoh's daughter represents someone who puts her life into play in this story to protect life by adopting Moses. She was moved with compassion, we read in verses 5 to 6. Remember when she pulled him out of the basket, when she opened it up and saw that he was in distress and that he was struggling. Their word for crying is, is weeping and wailing. Okay? Well, I mean, we've heard babies that have been weeping and wailing, right? The baby was in distress, and the poor little guy is, is hurting, and it says that she felt sorry for him, meaning she was moved with compassion, but not just a feeling. Actually, an action of doing what is right, providing relief for this struggling child. When she sees his tears, when she hears his cry, she's committed to help. And so after Miriam comes with, up with the idea of getting this Hebrew woman, which is actually Jochebed, his own mother, to care for him, Pharaoh's daughter says in verses 8 and 9 there of chapter 2, Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother, Pharaoh's daughter, and said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me. I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nurse him. Man, how, like how cool is that, right? Jochebed, Moses' mother, now is not only to, to nurse her son, not able to nurse her son, and to nurture his son during these formative years, okay? but she gets paid to do it. Okay? And some of you are thinking, how can I figure this out? Right? I need some help with that. I mean, how ironic that Pharaoh calls for the killing of all of the male children in Egypt. And then he pays for one to be raised that ultimately will free all children of Israel from bondage in Egypt. I mean, that's, deep, that's some deep stuff that's just going to take a whole different message or series of messages to unpack a different day. But Moses, under Pharaoh, after he has been nurtured and then ultimately adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, receives this um, training, military training, administrative training, leadership training, all the things that he will then use later in life to free God's people. And it makes us just remember, in the middle of crisis, like there are things only God can do. And there are plans that only God knows. And those things only happen, those plans only unfold appropriately as people like you and I are close enough to the heart of God to see what's going on 
and to participate in ways that He leads us to participate. Okay? One more ministry locally I just want to introduce you to or remind you of. There's a ministry locally called Isaiah's Place. Okay? Isaiah'sPlace.com is their website. Great resource for understanding how God could use you as His disciple, as a follower of Jesus, to come alongside a child who either needs a temporary or a permanent family because of situations involving their biological family. They work specifically with the foster parenting program Isaiah's Place does, and their wealth of information, a wealth of potential connection if God would call you into that role, either fostering or foster to adoption, either one, they're a great resource, okay? Um, and again, not everyone in our church is called to this, but some are. Richard and Patty Hart just this week received two-year-old Emma, right, because they put their lives into play and they're foster parenting her, and, and we will come alongside of them and, and help them with the sanity of uh, introducing a two-year-old into your home in a moment. <laughs> all the beauty and all the challenges of that, right? Because God calls some of us to put our lives into play in that way. Two weeks from yesterday, a group of us will travel to Montana to the Pine Haven Christian Children's Ranch and we'll encounter house parents and a group of people who put their lives into play to care for some significantly troubled young people to give them a home and to give them a safe place and to give them a family and to introduce them to Jesus, to show them what it looks like to meet the God who created them because that's their calling in life. And we can come alongside those who are doing this type of work. <clears throat> So back out with me just of the narrative and think about what we've read and looked at in Exodus 1 and 2, how this whole story moves forward because these women saw a need and moved to meet the needs of the most vulnerable, in this case, just one baby, Moses. Okay? And don't miss the fact that God's entire plan to save a nation turns on the actions of these particular women who love children. Now, and obviously this isn't just for women, right? That's for all of us who have a heart for God. But like Shipra and Pua, some of us are called to see and make moves to rescue, okay? Or like Jochebed, some of us are called to see and encourage people maybe to release that child toward a different future. Most all of us are called like Miriam to see and respond and some, like Bithia, Pharaoh's daughter, are called to see and to replant. Listen, the church has been historically very vocal and very active in its objection to abortion. Okay? And we will continue to be so. But we have generally fallen short in seeing and serving the most vulnerable among us, all of our children okay we need to do a better job of promoting that need and in some cases of actually participating in meeting the need through adoption and through foster parenting and through supporting those who engage in this ministry or the ministries that support them because that work is holy work and that work is hard work in the ministries that we've mentioned, help us to engage in that calling to come alongside 
God's people, God's creation, and help them to meet their Father God. So to see and to serve the most vulnerable, we're not called to do the same thing. We're all capable of doing something. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to worship here in just a moment. And if God is moving you to do something, and you want to pray with someone about that, we'll be back in that corner. I'd be happy to do that. Grab one of our leaders, grab one of our staff, grab someone that you just love and trust that loves Jesus. Pray about what God wants you to do. And, and then respond and don't just miss out on the opportunity that God puts before you to find your something that he wants you to do. And maybe, honestly, there are just other needs that you have with regard to your family, with regard to your life, with regard to your marriage, with regard to your health, other things you just want someone to pray with you about. Again, we're available for that and we encourage that as well. Let's pray together. Father, your plan um, is beyond anything that we could put together. And when we are tracking with you, we realize that often your plan involves your people. And so as your people, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the world around us the way you see it, to respond as your hands and your feet and your heart in such a way that the people in our lives and the people in our world would see you, God, our Father, the one who loves them the most and has a perfect plan for their lives. May we be part of fulfilling that, Lord, in Jesus' name.